Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Review Crew. It's the first uh, of September, uh, which means it's the start of spooky season here in Los Angeles. So that's going to be exciting. Today on the show, we have our associate editor, Culture, Anthony Robinson. Hello, greetings. We have our Chicago curator, Patrick McLean. Hey everyone. And we have our East Coast curator at large, Blake Wow. Hi everyone, how you doing? All right. Um, we're going to get it kicked off today with our uh, first-timer, Anthony. So I think you're going to be talking about the Vandermist dossier. You want to take it away? Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, long time no talk. Uh, so I got a chance to um, to preview uh, a uh, one of those at-home boxes. Really actually kind of cool one. And you guys know I'm fond of the at-home, play-at-home uh, games. Uh the one I got to do is uh, this thing called the Vandermist uh, dossier, which is um, it's kind of like a it, it's it's a little mystery. I mean the 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 whole idea of it is that it's like a 30, 40 year old mystery um, where uh, you get a request from a uh, Dr. Helen Vandermist who has been estranged from her sister for some uh 40 years her sister mysteriously disappeared in 1979 in a small dutch village and um she basically has a, a few remnants and some things and she sends to you uh to kind of help find the mystery and you know help help her figure it out because she's tried and and she's got some new hope so uh that's kind of the, the idea behind it and um it's kind of like a it's it's cool it's like an, you know it's, it's it's the escape room in the box um but it's also got a lot of you know mysteries, and it turns into a spy thriller. I mean, it's 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 a it's a nice little piece of uh, nice piece of ephemeral play. Um, and I know I know you mentioned in your in your review on the review rundown that it's based off um, of a Dutch game. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like how it made its way to the U.S. and then kind of like how it plays from there, um, and whether the Dutch version kind of well. Um, the basically what's going on with it is that it's it's almost a it's a recreation of the Dutch, original Dutch versions done by the same company, um, uh, which uh, they are in the middle of rebranding themselves as Diorama Games. Um, they originally were called. Um, sorry, my brain is still trying to function here. Um, the the original uh, folks uh, were uh, Puzzle Post. Um, but they're rebranding themselves to Diorama, and part of their rebranding, uh, they're launching a Kickstarter in the fall. They've completely reworked the game. Um, uh, you know, they've updated pictures, they've updated um, puzzles, they've, um, you know, I guess the other game is, is very, it's a really beautiful, in-depth game, but they, they kind of want to, to step it up to the next level. So, um, and they want to bring it to a wider international audience. So uh, they've got it translated to English. Um, from the Dutch, uh, it is like I say, new puzzles. They reworked puzzles, and it's kind of cool because if you look at their, um, if you look at their original site, you can see actually side by side like there's little like the props are changed, um, they've been updated and, and reworked, um, and it kind of plays out kind of like a, an escape room, kind of like uh, if you ever did like the old like uh, video games like you know the, like you know, missed like the old searching you know point and click click games where you had to search through things. Um, kind of like um, uh, what's the the big game we we're talking about uh, at uh, at, at home, um, you know, in a box, and 
it, it's really kind of cool. I mean, like there are, there are solid puzzles. I mean, like a lot of these games have their solid puzzles. Um, you know, there's ciphers, but there's also physical puzzles. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it plays out pretty much in that same way. There's like a lot of neat aha moments. Like you can get like in, in, in escape rooms where you kind of like, you know, if you, you know, if you put a certain thing in a certain place, there's a certain time of day, a certain thing happens. And, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil it on this because there are, there are some really genuine neat moments where you kind of go through it and go like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, so that, that's one of the things that, that I found that was kind of awesome. Yeah. And Anthony, I, I'm curious to learn with this particular, uh, box experience when it comes to the puzzles I, I i've done several of these of myself myself as well where you know you get a package and you open it up and there's all sorts of cool little uh things to explore but it's always very interesting when the puzzles are there just for puzzle sake and when the puzzles are there as part of like a narrative as part of a realistic thing someone recently updated their will and testament and put it in a locked bag and you know you need to find the combination versus uh this you look up at the stars and you notice that the stars have weird letters on the inside of this box uh, could they be corresponding to the possible shoe size of the people who came before? Like, is it, you know what I mean? Like, is it like yeah. just there to kill time or is it there no, as and, part of something? And that's actually one of the, the, the beautiful parts about the way this thing uh, works. This particular game plays out. Um, all the puzzles make sense because uh, you like, and it's very open about it is that their, their father was into stuff. He was into codes and into making codes and breaking things. And it was something that rubbed off on um on the the missing sister she likes mysteries and she likes codes and she likes she likes breaking them and she learned with her father and she was close to her dad um and that's part of the game in it so the fact that there are puzzles in it aren't just time killers they're not just misdirections it is this is very much it, it, like i say it turns into a spy thriller um and, or the start of one and it is very much about codes and just secret messages and uh, interaction uh, with the paper and in, in, in around as you, as you follow her trail of you know how she followed her you know this original mystery that she stumbled upon. Um, so it's it's very much all the puzzles are very much embedded in the narrative and the physical form that they take are, are you know it brings it into the real world so uh you know like there's things where like you get a, you get a page from a book and, and the book you know is has has meaning um you know there's uh there's a map and there's uh, newspaper clippings and it, and it all actually ties in together and it does it very well and so if i could oh, ask like, go a ahead. question one of the things that I really love about escape rooms, I guess, is like a feeling of progression, that things lead into one another and sort of flow really nicely. As someone who doesn't do a lot of at-home box experiences, it, how does this manage to capture that sense of progression or expansion or growth? Um, it, it very much does, like, you know, in the same way that escape rooms, you know, sometimes like when you, you know, you line if you line the stars up you know like you said you know the shoe, the shoe size you know it corresponds to the stars and you line you know put the shoes in the right order something happens it they managed to do that in the box um they managed to do that in the box and it's all you know there's it, it and it flows very well in such a way that it's a logical progression of where you should look next and if you are 
you know, if you are savvy, like, you know, uh, like game explorer game, um, or, you know, like, um, or, uh, escape room artist, you, you know, certain things of how to look, right. You know how to look for, for certain things and they'll be there. Um, if you look for them that way, uh, which is, which is kind of cool. Cause I actually stumbled on some things completely in that same, same way, you, you know, you kind of ransack the room. Um, and I've stumbled on some things, but until you have the connection, like it's obvious that there's something you're supposed to do with it, but until you actually have the connection of how it's supposed to work out. Um, so you, it is possible to jump ahead, but without being, without the context, you can't solve the puzzle. If that makes sense. So the secret, there's no great risk of sequence breaking. No, there's, there's no great, I mean, you can break the sequence in this. Um, but you're not, you know, you can go ahead out of sequence, but if you don't have context and that's the cool thing is like, I, what I one the one thing I really enjoyed about it is that the context is there. And so if you, without the, if you solve the puzzle without context, you didn't know what you were supposed to do with it. Um, so it it's, it's only when you solve everything, it comes together like a true mystery. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, there are things that open up. And so like, even the, the mystery itself, there are things that you discover as you go along. So, you know, unless you put all the pieces together and figure certain things out, you know, you, you're not going to get that. So, uh, and the neat thing is that this particular game actually asks more, presents more questions as you find out more things. Um, uh, the idea behind them, and uh, this is apparently is the first of a trilogy, what they're doing. And so they're they're doing this Kickstarter to get this this one up and running. Um, they're ready for production on this. It's going to be coming out. Uh, I think they're going to be able to deliver to Europe um, uh, in time for Christmas, and then the greater internationally right at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, after this Kickstarter ends, but they're going to be doing uh, more to a different Kickstarter to release the next two episodes uh, in early 2022. Um, but this is the start of a story. It plays as well as itself as a standalone, but it, it is, it's part of a three, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a three, uh, three box arc, if you would, um, which tells a bigger story and uh, which is you know what they did with the original game. Um, but they've added some new things. So there's an overarching uh, puzzle that connects all three games and some new things that you can find. So there, there are there are things even in this one that connect to the next games uh, two and three. So it, it's they they made a bigger story than uh, than just what's in the box, and that's that's it's there's something to be said for that. It's really cool. Yeah, I think that's something we haven't seen a lot in these these kind of box games is a continuing story. Um, and I know that's not super common and immersive, but it, it happens where you kind of have these these series of shows. So it's interesting that it's kind of taking part in a in a box one now and kind of that further merging of these kind of escape room in a boxes and an immersive theater into kind of really mixing those ideas together. That's, that's always cool to see. It is, it is a nice step towards serialization. And I think it's actually very smart if you have a continuous box because, you know, it, um, you know, just like comic books, you have a great, you know, step in book and then you have, you know, the, you know, the series as it goes on. So it leaves them the space to do more stories and do more things and spinoffs with this. So it's, 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 it's a really smart move. Yeah, and I know I know there are some like the Hunt a Killer series that does does that like on a six month type scale. I'm actually in my own home. I'm actually sitting on the Detective Society, uh, actually something that uh, Ed, our correspondent, reviewed forever ago, and I finally just bit the bullet and did it all. But I think what's really cool is that there are some whether i don't know whether the market has shifted to supported support this or whether the materials are more available i'm excited that there are 
smaller operations like there are just like a, a creator or two who have the resources and time to build this model uh, to build out these stories and be supportive in this model and explore that kind of stuff too and i think it's always kind of because i was looking at the photos and i think um there is like you can just tell like i'm looking at a photo of kind of like maybe generally everything that's in this box and you could just tell that the the newspaper that's in there it's definitely just even in the photo it looks like a newspaper like you can feel it right like it, and it has such a attention to detail to that so i'm so excited that there are more of these smaller kind of operations where um maybe that it's while there is a story at play there is so much thought and attention being put into the actual crafting of the box and the crafting of the materials because i i do think while hunt hunt to killer and some of those other ones are really good at ha having all that together it does feel for lack of a better word a little mass produced sometimes like it's definitely like we've made like 10,000 copies of this box and it's ready to go where some of these smaller ones like this uh uh, experience you did, Anthony, are clearly like almost made on demand. Kind of like what um, Kevin we did, the Welcome Home experience, mm -hmm. where clearly when you place that order, they're like, it could take <laughs> two weeks to a month because uh, we're actually going to package this in real time. It hasn't been sitting on the shelf. You are going to get this assembled just for you. Yeah, and I think it's, it's especially Welcome Home, I was actually going to bring that because I think it is a great point. Like I've done one of the... Um... Hunter Killers and yeah, like the design is great. Like it's it's cool stuff, but it it is something like it feels a little special when it's like as you're going through Welcome Home to like realize it's like oh like someone put this together by hand, like designed all these pieces and picked these things out and put them all in the box in this order, um, and not like a a machine or something. Um, yeah, it's like I mean, if you ever did any of the mysterious package company stuff, and, and um, which I you know I've done a few of those. Um, it's they've they're about the same quality of care you know it's like they took the time they took the time to crumple pages and to put you know to fold things so that that it feels lived in and it makes it a real very real world and it brings you into the story um and for me that kind of puts it very much in you know there was there was a question there's always the question of whether or not the, you know some of these games are fall into our into our um into our ballywick and one of the things for for me for this one, this one, it, it, it is like that same attention to detail that brings you into the world of the story. So you are in the plane, you, you know, you are on the same plane in the same world as this character. And so, you know, you can, as you're reading through the letters, you can see, you know, this lady in her, in her early 60s writing this letter, you know, and that she's worried about her sister. She hasn't heard from her in a long time. And then it's still a thing. It's very still real. So, um you know, there there's something to be said about that kind of attention to detail as opposed to the mass reduced stuff. It it makes it it makes it more immersive, and that's you know that's what we're, that's what we're all about. So for sure. And then so is the is the Kickstarter available yet, or it hasn't launched? Um, so the Kickstarter is uh, launching at the end of September, late September. They haven't given an exact date yet. However, if you keep an eye out for it. Um, Sorry, my brain is trying to actually look at a note. Um, 
Well, like typically on Kickstarter, well, you can go to the page and, and you can uh, set a reminder. So when it launches, you can get an email. And I'm yeah. sure it's, they have the same setup. In the exact same there, yeah. So if you if you take a look in, um, look out for the company. The company uh, that they're called right now is Diorama Games. And, uh, and you know, again, if you keep a look out for the Vandermist, Vandermist dossier, um, you'll, you'll be able to find it. And it's, like I said, it's launching at the end of September. So um, it looks like... Looks like it's gonna be really cool. It's about, I think they're doing about forty dollars US right now for Kickstarter members starting at, and then they have additional things that they're gonna be doing um, as well. So I think it's a pretty good deal uh, to keep an eye out for in the future. Cool. And I imagine if they uh, when we get to the next ones, you'll uh, talk about them more on the site. And uh, we're gonna stick in the world of escape rooms, and I'm gonna jump in now with um, an actual a. Uh, a book review on Review Crew, which is a little bit different, but uh, it's very much in the immersive world, so we're just going to go with it. Um, I'm going to talk about Planning Your Escape by Ellie Hall. Ellie Hall is a, among other things, escape room designer um, who launched one in Oregon, um, I think, in the mid-2010s. Um, and so now she's written a book about uh, escape rooms and essentially immersive theater. So it's the book... Uh, is kind of in two halves. The first half details kind of how we got to escape rooms starting in the, let me check the official timeline, in ancient history and moving all the way up in today. And it kind of walks through um, various states of play and festivals and boardwalk games all the way up to kind of how arcades and video games up and then through kind of ARGs and up to modern kind of immersive theater and um, escape rooms. So that's the first half. The sec- And that's the half I've read I'm, and which I want to talk about today. The second half is more kind of tips on actually making your way through an escape room, covering kind of everything about how they, how they play to how you can be better at them and covering codes and ciphers and, and ways to look at locks and things like that. Um, what I really appreciate about the first half, though, is is the way she walks through the history of kind of all of these things to end, end up where we got through today and kind of drawing a line between them. Um, it's a really interesting way to kind of look at how we ended up at escape rooms and immersive theater and the links between all these things, whether it's kind of video games and or ARGs and the connections between all these things. And I think it's things we think and talk about a lot, even on this show, is how they're all kind of connected. Um, and this book does a great job at at covering how those all come together for is ultimately escape rooms. Yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm flipping through my copy right now. And I think what's kind of interesting in particular at the beginning, as I kind of have perused this book very lightly is how, you know, in so many ways, it's interesting that we come on the show and sometimes we get very focused in on the terms. What is this thing? What, what labels can we put it on and what, a little box can we put it in? Is it a dark ride? Is it a sandbox experience? Is it on rail? So on and so forth. And I I really like how in like the early chapters and kind of looking through this, it definitely is like the concept of what, it's a very open in that sense, right? Like it's just simply about like in these, those in the 1800s, it's about just simply like expanding what play is. And just getting out of like that rut, which I think is also a very interesting like parallel between that's run throughout the entire kind of like immersive and escape room industry. It's like it's just about evolution of play. It's about going further. It's about 
thinking of a new way to be active in your entertainment. Yeah, that's that's definitely there. I think you kind of you I think you kind of made another good point there too. Is that she explains it in in pretty common terms. Like you don't need to be bought into immersive or escape rooms to really kind of understand it. I assume you probably are on some level if you're buying this book, but it's pretty general in terms of like, hey, you don't know. You've never been to sleep no more. You've never been to then she fell. You've never been into something immersive, and it kind of walks you through that. You don't know what an ARG is. Here's kind of where those started. Here's how kind of video games started. And here's how they tie into escape rooms and immersive theater and the theory of kind of play and all these aspects. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very beginner friendly and like kind of introduction to this stuff without like getting super heady or like deep into these concepts that people may not have experienced on their own. Um, well, and so in that sense, I'm what is, as someone who works uh in this industry and is involved and covers it. Have you read anything so far that you found, whether it's, you know, uh, obviously something maybe from way before our, our, our lifetime uh, that you learned or something about today that you were like, oh, wow, I never knew that or never thought about that. Have you come across anything like that? Yeah, so I think in some of the ARG stuff, I think it's like I've you're familiar with some of them, but it's like she goes into kind of the beast. Um, she goes into I love bees and kind of different parts of that. Um, and I think it's you've heard about it, like you've heard about it, you kind of are familiar with them. But I think it's again, it's that kind of the line she draws into how those those work together and how they kind of where those kind of ideas emerge from. It's like, oh, okay, we've we've taken these ideas and kind of taking this from, from the ARG into the immersive space or into the escape room space and kind of even how ARGs and immersive and escape rooms have all kind of blended together. And that's the more modern stuff that people are more aware of. But there's some early stuff. I can't remember the name of the festivals at this point because I think they're kind of European. But there's some interesting stuff in, in the terms of these festivals that she talks about and how those kind of laid the groundwork for play that made its way across the world ultimately. Um, and yeah, it's just like there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, and it's it's pretty again beginner friendly if you're not familiar with these things. It's just like a a brief overview of this history instead of being like you need to have an in-depth understanding of kind of ancient history or 1800s and kind of parts of not like Norway or Sweden or something. Um, so I guess building off of that, and just to get a little bit more granular, you say it talks a lot about this historical stuff. Was there anything in the book? from another era or another place in time, or even just say 20 years ago, that you just had the reaction of, oh God, if only I had a time machine, that is the thing I would go to. Yeah, so it's actually, I think you can probably find it on YouTube. It was a specific um, game show in Britain in the 80s, I think. Let me find the, the Crystal name Maze? Are yes. you going to talk about the Crystal Maze? Exactly. I'm crazy about that show there is so much of it on youtube it is amazing yeah so i didn't i guess and to patrick's point that's like one of the things i like read about that i didn't know about and it's like oh this thing sounds cool and it's certainly like a progenitor of escape rooms and like immersive theater and the, the theming of it can you talk a little bit about it because it just it sounds cool <laughs> cool and i haven't it watched it is a baddie show for many seasons it was hosted by richard o'brien who many of you will know as Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And basically they get five, usually not particularly bright people or so, and they have to go through a series of really wildly themed immersive environments and try to earn crystals. And each crystal they get 
gives them more time in one of those um, chambers with a big fan that blows around a ton of confetti. And if they catch enough of it, they get a vacation. And no one ever wins this show, but that's not the point. The point is that they're really traveling and doing all sorts of really odd little locked room challenges one at a time in this wild space. And again, I recommend there's a lot of back episodes uh, floating around on YouTube, or at the very least, clips. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you're an immersive theater fan jonesing for big environments during COVID restrictions, uh, this is one of those shows that could get me through that. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go dig it up on YouTube because I was reading it. I was like, oh, this, is, <laughs> this sounds like so much fun. And I... It is a blast. Well, and then even in, in just literally flipping through that section, it's uh, page uh, uh, 63 through 65 for those following at home in their books. <laughs> um, uh, I find it interesting that like one of the things she takes note of is how O'Brien like was such a part integral part of this and like how that started so accidentally that it was just about like he would talk to the audience where you know in many ways it was just maybe about the people like just classic television here we are we're being recorded we're doing our little play and we're going to go home but how he really seemed to just what started off as just wanting to make the cameraman laugh o'brien like invites the audience and makes the audience like it makes everybody a part of this experience right it's not necessarily it's still passive on the viewer's part but they definitely seem more invested because they are being acknowledged something that i think immersive theater uh, does a lot, and that's a big part of what kind of separates what we do from a lot of other forms. Yeah, for sure. It definitely seems like they like bring people into the the immersive elements of the the game show, even more than like a normal host in the way you kind of like did stuff like that. Um, we probably shouldn't spend all our time talking about this <laughs> this '80s uh, game show from from England, though. If you're very interested, I don't know if it's still running, but the last time I was in Britain, they were running a live-action version of it. So uh, maybe we'll get lucky and get a no-pro field trip one day and get to have our own little Crystal Maze yeah. adventure. For sure. But there's, you know, they even talk about, like, uh, just really quickly, like, uh, once again, I'm now on a page 93 where the Blair Witch Project comes up, right? Like, that concept. And I think this is maybe something that's been forgotten to the sands of time, is how, like we were told those were real people and they marketed it as such. And like, to the point where when, you know, like the movie came out, like, wasn't the studio trying to like prevent them from being seen in public? No, or no. something. The studio, oh, no. Double, the studio double down on it. This is one that Noah and I talk about all the time. We always go back to the Blair Witch Project because it's one of the first great transmedia projects out there. Um, they started it and they doubled down because they released the uh, sci sci-fi channel. They recent special on the Sci-Fi Channel that literally expands the whole universe of the Blair Witch and tells more of the story. Um, so you know, it's that same thing of if if you acknowledge the audience and you bring them into it and you take the time to make the care and you put all of it in there, it, it creates a bigger story and bigger world. And there's stuff in that movie that was scarier if you read the website, if you watched the special, and then you go and see the movie, and then there's like moments in it you went, "Holy crap, that's something!" You know, so yeah. Yeah, I guess I just bring it up because once again, it's just like I think in this first half of this book, even just flipping through it now, it's like so. 
you know, really just kind of opening up the sense of what, you know, is immersive theater and acknowledging it. And it's like where we've come and really some really kind of important things. So I meant many ways, like, you know, if you, I guess if you're a beginner and you need to build your team to do an escape room, like I'm sure the second half of this book is going to be very helpful. I can't do word scrambles if my life depended on it. So uh, I can't wait to get into that. But like the first half, just like, what a great primer this seems like to just like learn more about everything you know, immersive theater and escape rooms and VR and ARGs are doing. Yeah, I think like like I said, Aaron, we've both been into it and you spent a few minutes looking through it. I kind of read the first half and it's it is it's a good refresher on kind of how all these things are are connected, whether it's it's movies and the websites and the kind of transmedia projects that that birth those and how those are all connected to kind of everything else that that we're so interested in. And, um, and it's been a great time and I'd really recommend it kind of for all levels, even if even if you're not a big escape room fan, I think the first half of the book is probably worth it. And then maybe the second half will get you more into escape rooms. If uh, that's not your jam is you can figure out how to do the puzzles and how to, how to work through those. Um, and I'm excited to dig into that at some point, but the first half is, is still highly recommended. And then one of the things that actually um, Ellie Hall talks about too is Burning Man and how that kind of interacted and, and kind of birthed some things in the immersive movements that led to, ARGs and different things. And then, um, so now I'm going to turn it over to Patrick to talk about how Burning Man made its way into VR. Yeah, because I was actually on, uh, that's page 75 uh, for those following at home. Yeah, so I, uh, I am, well, I am not going to be talking about Burning Man, the actual experience that is happening in the desert. Uh, I, I am talking about um, BRC VR, which is, you know, the official virtual Burning Man experience. Uh, I, I, to just as a brief recap, in case we have some new listeners or maybe people who haven't caught some of the previous pod, uh, podcasts, um, as you know, with a lot of things with the pandemic, uh, you know, shifts uh, were had to be made and things like that. And what Burning Man did last year was in regards to having issues with uh, COVID is that they pivoted to online space where people could go to hub worlds and basically for right now it's currently an alt space vr and you basically from either a vr headset or from a desktop computer you're able to go wander the digital dunes of black rock desert in nevada and have the burning man experience and uh, without all of those things like, you know, the uh, skin the, corroding acid dust, <laughs> the, yeah. Making sure that you're completely hydrated all the time though. If, you know, if you're on a headset and you've got your hot brick VR on your face, you know, definitely keep drinking water too. Cause that can be a pain, but yeah. So I, I've been wandering the digital dunes the last couple days and really kind of getting into the most of this experience. And I've got to say, I'm really having the time of my life. I think it's been a really cool thing. There are so many cool places to explore. And let me take a step back, too, and kind of setting it up. So basically, you can do it one of two ways. You can basically 
enter the main hub world in Altspace VR, which is just basically like, hey, here you are. Here's some instructions on how to do things and move about. And then here are some portals you can take to other worlds, or you could specifically, if you have the codes and the information and the links, go to specific spaces and explore with, you know, either by yourself or with a group of people you know, different really cool worlds that have been specifically built for this environment that have messages that are either related to the grander themes of Burning Man or whether it's maybe showcasing some art that would not be able to go to Burning Man otherwise, but is still tangentially related. So I got a couple of questions about this. I guess the the first one is about that art. I know a Burning Man, a lot of people kind of go and they make art there. Are any of the people that kind of like attended, have they made anything for this? Or where where the art artists or art come from that's present in the VR experience? Well, yeah, so I, I will I will not lie. I'm not quite sure on whether it's um uh officially like all part of it like if there's something that was actually built out there in blackrock if it was actually then digitally created but uh, there are definitely a lot of really cool experiences uh and works of art there i in nearly every space and every hub world i've visited uh i've definitely had to like look up at something right and i've definitely had to stop and like walk around and like admire 360 degrees worth of detail of a structure that has been digitally created that has a sense of scale to it for sure like you know definitely there is the burning man uh which you can see and does tower over you but then there are definitely things that feel constructed and there's definitely a distinction between what is just kind of digitally been created like there are a lot of like tents and like rv vans there but they're very kind of low res and they're very they have a very copy and paste feel to them but then that works so well because then the stuff that really seems like someone actually like uh like melted metal and twisted it or like took a hammer and took two pieces of wood and put them together there is a real sense of texture and thought and a a desire that someone actually built this even though it's in vr like it really does capture some of the beautiful work of like someone taking the time and being like okay i'm not there this is a digital space but how can i make it seem like and how can i convey and almost have it be a texture of a physical really thing of a physical real thing Hmm. And, and then kind of along, along that line, like, I think one of the things about Burning Man, like I've never been by, I know a few people have gone, is kind of that, like, just being like radically present and kind of in the moment and experiencing like the actual thing and the hardships that be with, that are like part of the desert. Does that kind of make its way in the VR experience or does it kind of come at it from a different angle in terms of how to like approach like Burning Man? Uh, there's, there's, it's a little bit of both. I would say that, you know, they definitely do acknowledge, like, you know, in theory, you are in the desert. So there are definitely lots of, like, signs about staying hydrated. Uh, a lot of the world sometimes have bars uh, where you can, you know, pick up a, a, a digital drink in your hands and walk around with it, right? So there's definitely trying to convey some of the 
physical aspects uh, and maybe even dangers, dare I say, of wandering around in that desert if you're not careful. But uh, you definitely do feel safe in that sense, and it's not like any kind of uh, concern there in that. That was the second part to your question, and I realized I just blanked on it. What was it? I don't even know because I just blanked on it too. <laughs> uh, but like, what, but, oh, oh, go ahead. What's the scope of this? Because you know, I'm imagining this as like the most expansive virtual world I've ever dreamed of. I'm imagining this as you know, miles and miles of virtual desert. How long would you say an an average tour of even the highlights would take. At I, I, least, I've been in it for about three to four hours now, and I easily think I've only maybe seen a fourth of what there is to offer uh, and to experience and take a part of. Um, I think what's really clever, and I think that's a great question, Blake, because uh, there's been lots of times where I've just been walking and I hit the digital wall because what I think is really smart is that they have captured that, that there are tents that go, it, it does seem to spiral and go on and on and on in for miles, right? I really feel like I could just walk through different rows of tents and get lost and be a part of it because in Altspace VR, there's a function where you can, uh, you can soar, you can kind of fly around to move around a little faster or maybe get a different visual perspective on it. So when you like fly straight up in the main hub world, um, it, it looks like it's there. It's going for miles and miles and miles. Um, I haven't explored the hub world to its extreme. Like I haven't tried to go all the way there, but then there are smaller places that kind of like capture part of it. Like it's like you can see the entirety of Burning Man off in the distance, or it's like maybe just you're standing in part of it. You can see the rest of it stretch for miles. And I've definitely just been walking around and I'm like, wait, why, why can't I move? And I'm like, oh, I've reached the end of this alt space VR world. Um, so I think they did a really great job of working within the constrictions, right? Because it would be impossible. Some of these worlds would crash and fall apart and no one would be able to get into them if they really did capture the size and the scope. So I think they really did a good job of ensuring that like the backgrounds, like the, you know, the, the walls and the, the floor and the ceiling of these digital cubes, basically. Right. Cause that's what you're walking around in, uh, in a way feel like they stretch on for infinity and they are a part of something bigger. Maybe you can only go so far, but they're, is a larger world out there and maybe you can't get to the next point from this world but go back to the main hub world hop into a different portal and then you're over then you're over in the other part you can get to and now you're seeing the other side of burning man and then kind of on the on the scope side are there other people in there with you is there just kind of you wandering alone because i know that like uh, well yes man yeah, I, I'm alone. I've, 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 
ask the staff constantly, why, hey, why, why don't you guys? Here's three people. Why don't you guys respond to any? I don't have a headset, man. I, I just said uh, you could just do this from your desktop, no. and I know you're uh, uh, you're recording from your desktop. No, but like, yeah. So there's definitely lots of people talking when you enter the main hub world. It's actually a little disoriented because they plop you like I think everyone spawns in the same exact space. So like you are suddenly like hearing lots of people talking as they kind of you know hop in and then there's you know definitely first timers so there's people trying to figure out how to move and you overhear conversations and things like that but i was actually uh i one of the worlds i visited was the icarus spaceport where in their thing you can actually uh you go to their specific hub world and then there's a little portal you get into where you can be on their the icarus which is basically kind of like this it's a vehicle. It's like an open top vehicle, right? And it's just like going around in circles. And when I was there, I, it was just me and there was two other people. And I believe they were speaking French, French or German, some European language. And it was still really cool though. Like, cause I was just standing there. They're just talking. They're having a perfectly fine time on this barge as it slowly moves around in this little hub world. And I'm just staring out, looking at all of the things in the distance of burning man and stuff like that um so it's definitely a very active place um for those both for those who are able to go with other people and frankly there are there is a lot of stuff that is just really cool to see one of my favorite places i've discovered so far is uh playa stonehenge and it's just it's it's stonehenge but there's like what i really like what they've done is there's music playing, there's like rain, there's like a little fire in the middle of Stonehenge, and it's definitely a living, breathing space. So even if you go there by yourself, um, there is still a lot to be had here. And there's a lot of really cool stuff to just simply be present for and soak in and admire the digital beauty that someone has crafted for you. Nice. That sounds like a really cool experience. And like that translating something like Burning Man into VR seems obviously very difficult and seems like they've nailed it on some level um, to kind of encompass all those, those aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think, you know, it for, for both, I think, you know, for a second year uh, edition and where we are digitally in the world, uh, I, I think they've really done a really great job, and it's really a gathering experience in that sense. And if you can't make it to maybe Burning Man in the future, or if there's ever issues again, you could definitely still have a Burning Man-like experience that is equally worthy with uh, BRC VR. All right, now we're going to kick it over to Blake, and I, I don't have a cool segue for you, Blake, so I'm just going <laughs> to toss it to you. Oh, gee, Mom, everyone else got a cool segue. No, the segue. Don't worry about it. It's a segue. So, hi. Um, I'm going to be talking today, actually, about an app called I'm So Hot. Um, and this is something that... Wait, 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 back up. I got one now. (laughs) Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, like uh, Burning Man is obviously a very hot thing. Uh, So now we're going to kick it over to Blake, who's covering. Oh, I'm so hot. Oh, perfect. 
Perfect. <laughs> so, right on. Spot on. So, <laughs> really this it. is um, a new piece produced by The Tank in co-production with New Light Theater Project and Procket Universe that is a narrative app based off a Pierre de Marvailleux uh, comedy satire, La Dispute. Uh, I think it's from the, either the 17 or the 1800s. I That's slipped my mind, I'm afraid. But the, kind of the innovation of this old-timey Battle of the Sexes play is that it's all being told through a Tinder-esque dating app. And so... What this really does to kind of ground this piece is that it gives you dating profiles for all of the characters. It has all of the action taking place via DMs and FaceTime chats. And the thing that I love about it is that you also get to make a profile and under your pseudonyms, gossip with the other participants with you know oh honey oh no's in the comment section or kind of throw yourself into sort of the shallow fun of the whole thing with little pop quizzes the kind you might find on okay cupid you know asking you if you were a french food what would you be and why and so through kind of this combination of light audience social interaction and really kind of fun goofy prompts to get you involved it makes this fairly unknown fairly you know hoity-toity old-timey french play super accessible um and that's definitely something to be celebrated so to give kind of a basic plot summary just as a jumping off point uh a prince and his lover are having a dispute. Uh, who cheats first, men or women? Uh, and so they devise an experiment. In the original, it's them putting four orphans in an Edenic paradise-like garden where they pair them off into couples and then try to stir up love triangles to encourage someone to cheat. But on this one, it becomes almost a reality TV show dating game put through the lens of this uh, dating app, uh, where you, as sort of, a, you're both cast as a participant, but a favored participant who's a friend of the prince, who can watch the DMs from his side of things. And, you know, as you're expecting from kind of a French sex comedy, uh, things get very ribbled very fast. All the characters are a little bit zany. Um, in the original, you know, of course, they're all talking with these, you know, very sort of bon mot flirtations, but it's all put through as the title, oh, I'm so hot, suggests, into this very sort of vapid valley girls and himbos lens that really grounds it in sort of a fun, modern Love Island kind of vibe. Well, and I was—I have a question, Blake, because I—I'm I, a little—I was a little unclear about this, you know, just in general about the experience. So, is—is 
is there any live component to this or is this all like you know you you put in the prompt and you get like a recording of a performer or something so i would say it's 90 percent pre-recorded uh some of it is done via dating sim-esque text chains with some of the characters some of it is done via pre-recorded video segments um and some of it is done via app interface you know uh witnessing other people's dms as a third party observer but there is this slight live component um other than your sort of interaction with the app that i really like in that you are able to post comments uh on everything and so that does kind of turn into this fun popcorn (coughs) excuse me popcorn throwing experience uh-oh. And the audiences do get pretty chatty. So that's what I was gonna ask. You said the, the the full audience is in there together at like any given time, so like you can you can chat with other people that are playing along or watching along with you. Pretty much so. It's it's like an old fashioned message board or YouTube comment section, more or less. But it does update and <coughs> excuse me, sorry, I got a bit of dust in my throat. It does update pretty much in real time as um you're playing through it so if you have a friend who wants to play along with you uh you can have a pretty good time um but my one slight caveat and i just do want to warn audiences is that for all the fun of the acting and the writing um a have the wikipedia page up for la dispute because some of the fun little in jokes and references are going to be lost on you without a plot synopsis next to you unless you're one of the you know 10 french literature majors who who love this play uh and also the app can be the slightest bit glitchy while i really enjoyed it 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 was occasionally a battle to try to get it to work well i think it's an interesting question in regards to the summary like are are you saying that like you can't follow what's going on without a plot summary or is it just simply you get more out of it by having a plot summary more the latter the plot is pretty clear it works pretty well um the main sort of you know the example that comes to mind is a sequence which comes across as a little bit bizarre without familiarity with the original work in which uh the character of i'm going to be mispronouncing this horribly forgive me um egel um who is this vain narcissistic shallow you know, clear dating show villainess, uh, starts DMing with a river that she sees her own reflection in. <laughs> and it's a lot of, you so hot. Oh no, girl, you so hot. And it kind of comes out of nowhere, but there is an extended point in the original in which she first catches sight of her reflection in a river and decides it's the most beautiful thing she's ever seen. And it's a very fun way to play off of that scene. But, but that's the kind of thing that might be lost on someone who doesn't have more of a familiarity with the original work. It's still going to be a fun scene. It's just going to be a little bit of a non sequitur. And does this, does this run like multiple times? Like, can you jump in and like play again? And can you like affect the outcome or get like different ways of, of it ending? There's, there's no real multiple endings. Um, and to be fair, the ending is is my other, you know, slight complaint. I, I don't want to rag on this show because I have a lot of fun with it. But but the ending can be a little anticlimactic. Um, 
But is is that the fault of the source material, or is it's, that... it's more the fault of the source Got material, it. and also it's I, I think maybe just like a slight tragedy of adaptation. While the source material is is a little bit biting in terms of its satire, a little bit mean spirited to the point where I think part of the reason it doesn't get produced is that it's a little bit problematic in its uh, depiction of let's just say male female interactions. Um, I, the tone of this is so light and fluffy, very, very reality TV, that, that trying to keep some of that bite from the original might have, might have been difficult. And so I think without that, the ending falls a little bit flat, um, which, I mean, you know, perhaps they could have considered that in deciding what to adapt, but I, I think it's better to live in a world with I'm so hot than a world without I'm so hot. So I'm totally willing to overlook that. Yeah, I think that's that's something we've we've talked about periodically in here is like, does the, sh- does the show or kind of piece of immersive entertainment know what it wants to be? And this seems like it, it very much does. So it's like, it's a piece of light, fun kind of, like you compared to Temptation Island, Love Island, and F Boy Island, like just kind of these like silly kind of reality TV shows, they're easy to like get sucked into, and that's I mean that's something I don't think we see a lot in in immersive stuff. So it's it's a good uh, element to have in there. I, I, comedy in immersive is hard, especially yeah. like I feel like when we do get comedy, it's usually either. A little bit on the bizarro side, which is great for me, but I mean, is a little bit inaccessible to some people, or it tends to be very slapstick. This very fun blend of, you know, old time French satire with modern spoof is this very nice sweet spot that I would love to see, you know, maybe not particularly with French satire, but more of this (laughs) sort of highbrow meets pop uh vibe i would be very into well and if if comedy is hard in immersive theater it's got to be deadly in an app in that sense to navigate but i I wonder also then this brings up another question uh blake would you have maybe equally enjoyed and this is super hypothetical but like would you love to see this show again but maybe not as an adaptation but as original content through an app like i'm trying to decide if like the using of this old uh french you know you know romp play may have actually held back the experience where if they had pushed forward with their own content and i'm not you know like adaptations are fine and making your own content is very hard uh, of course but I, i'd be curious if they would be better if, if hypothetically it could be better served if it was its own narrative in support and in relationship with this app you are right. That is a very hypothetical question. So I'm going to approach it um, a little bit sideways, I think. Uh-huh. So I forget the name of the program on Steam, but there is a program that came out, you know, within the past five or six years that basically is just an engine that lets you write your own visual novels. And it's it's maybe not the smoothest engine. It's maybe a little bit clunky. And, you know, a lot of the content that you might be introduced to it with might not be ideal, but I think that trying to democratize and get more visual novels in the world is a great thing. 
With that in mind, I kind of look at this in the same way. I think that there is some really interesting thought here structurally that was intense enough that I can see why they would want to start worrying a little bit less about, you know, developing their source material on. When you have sort of the framework of, you know, an adaptation, I feel like you can afford a little bit more of structural experimentation. You know, Sleep No More, Popularize, everything, you know, um, most everything that Punch Drunk has done has popularized a lot of these large-scale, immersive, sandbox promenade shows. And they love adaptation. And I can see why, because when an audience is confronted with, and when a creative team is confronted with this very new structural challenge, it's nice to have something to fall back on. With that being said, you know, now that we've got sort of this baseline, admittedly clunky as it is, I would love to see more development into this infrastructure and more work with it now moving into original work. If people are getting familiarity with this structure of immersive theater, with people getting used to interacting with an app as both a social half so let's face it, maybe an eighth social, seven eighths <laughs> narrative device. Right. And I think there's a lot of growth and potential here. And I think that, you know, me is just kind of a, a nerd for the form. That definitely elevated it a lot for me. But, you know, again, the, the price is right. It's $10 for an experience that's going to take you, you know, at least 90 minutes, maybe a bit more. And it's... It's a lot of fun. It just brought a smile to my face. And it's rare to see something that is both, you know, fun and charming, but also pushes things forward a little bit. And I think this walks a nice line there, even if it occasionally has ambitions that outstrip its tech. For sure. I think that's a, a great close to that. That subject and probably the end of the uh, the pond here. If anyone has any um, last minute pitches for pitch of the week, now's the time. Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week.